Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Can you hear me? I can. Recorded live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Prophecy Watch. This is David Chandler along with Najiti Hawkins. And tonight we are going to be covering two important topics. Uh, And these important topics are going to be very, very, I don't want to say technical, but they're going to be extremely informative. So if you're on the line, uh, please get your highlighters out, your Bibles out in particular, and your pens out and your composition books out and really, really focus on listening tonight because what we're about to, to, to tell you is going to be integral to your spiritual growth. So uh, without further ado, uh, before I get into it, uh, I'm going to uh, ask Najiti Hawkins if he can lead us in a word of prayer. <clears throat> I sure will. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ. We come to you in prayer. We ask that you use us, Father, to present your word, to show the people, all your people who listen. Father, God, we pray that anybody who calls in and listens, that they are blessed uh, by the information. And, Father, God, we pray that uh, that they receive you. Anybody who listens who is not of the faith, we pray that they hear the message, and that they receive you, Father God. We just ask that you uh, uh, guide us in this study and guide uh, guide us and bless the minds and the hearts of all the people who are listening, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. All right. So can, can you hear me? I sure can. Claire is a bell. Okay, uh, Roger that. So tonight we're going to be discussing two very important topics, as I said in the beginning of my introduction, and that's going to be the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is going to be in the beginning of this out of these two hours that we're going to be with you tonight. Uh, the G.T. Hawkins is really going to explain to you where it's from and its founder and what are the key uh, doctrines that separate them from biblical Christianity and what makes them a cult. So, uh, and then the second hour, we're going to be discussing the, well, I am anyway, I'm going to be discussing the, the roots of the emergent church movement. Now, last week, a caller of my, uh, that uh, Najiti is familiar with, I don't want to say her name on the air right now without her permission anyway, but she uh, told us something that was very integral to the discussion tonight, and that's something about Stephen Furtick and uh, and his church 
Elevation Church in in, Charl- in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Well, I'm sorry, in uh, Charlotte, Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina. Sorry about mm-hmm. that. And um, it's <clears throat> going to be very important because, um, well, I'm just going to tell you what he, what she said. She said that in every Bible that is handed out. Um, a picture of their pastor, Stephen Furtick, is in it. Wow. <laughs> Go ahead. So uh, before I, I let you in on the first hour in the GT, I'm going to introduce the uh, caller. Um, are, are you on the air, Miss Elliot? Oh, she must be... Uh, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, what's going on, Elliot? Hey, how you doing? Glad to be on tonight. I was driving extra fast to make sure I made the call tonight. <laughs> huh. well, well, grace and peace to you and your family. Uh, so without further ado, GT, it's all yours. Okay. Well. Uh, I wanted to discuss the issue of the Black Hebrew Roots movement. Not really get into too much details, but just try to try to go over a uh, a little historical point of view from where some of their doctrines started and the people involved, and also some of their uh, most outlandish forms of doctrine, and deal with those through the scriptures, <clears throat> and using common sense, of course. But uh, what I wanted to, an- another thing that I wanted to do was uh, show you all the types and shadows and at least try to get you all familiar with types and shadows in the scriptures and how uh, the things in the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, some of the feasts, uh, some of the uh, items that were in the temple, how they all pointed to Jesus Christ. Um, so, without further ado, I just want to want to start off with a history a history lesson. Now, if you if you have friends and family who are uh, pro his uh, uh, are, if you have family who are into this type of uh, religion or um, cult, these are the things that you need to know so that when you talk to them, you can understand where they're coming from and you can understand where some of the doctrines come from. Now, I have a book called Mystics, Messiahs, uh, let's see. Give me a second. Let me try to pull it up. It's called Mystics and Messiahs in the uh, 20th Century of America, the Rise Rise of Cults. And in this book, it's written by Philip Jenkins. Uh, Philip Jenkins uh, wrote about the vast amount of cults that rose up during during the, the 18th and 19th centuries. And 
you'll read everything from the Jehovah about the Jehovah Witnesses, the new uh, what, was, what do they call themselves, the uh, Christian Science. Although, uh, don't get confused about what they mean by Christian Science, because uh, there is science in the Bible, but they're talking more on a new age level, a uh, secular philosophical thought. Uh, and then he goes into the black cults that rose, um, bringing up people like uh, Big Daddy Grace. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Daddy Grace, that's his name. That When I lived in Greensboro, there was a church uh, for a guy named Daddy Grace. And to see his name in this book was uh, was like, wow, yeah, I remember that church. <clears throat> and then you got Father Divine. He also brings up Marcus Garvey. And then one main character who's very uh, relevant to this discussion about the black Hebrew, Hebrew roots movement is a guy named William Crowdy. Now, you have black Hebrew Israelites who are on the conservative side where they're not really into the whole uh, movement like that. They not They don't look at uh, people like William Crowdy as credible or as prophets or anything like that. They just look at the religion itself and they cool with it. Then you have some on the extreme side. Where the extreme side is all of these uh, false prophets that has that have risen within this cult movement. They look at them as real prophets, as real people of God. Um, and you'll see as time goes by, as you know, we get into the meat of the subject um, later on uh, throughout the year as we continue these uh, discussions, you'll, I'll, I'll bring up these people so that you can see for yourselves or you can do your own research and look into it. But, uh, again, Mystics, Messiahs, The Rise of Cults in America by Philip Jenkins, uh, is the book that I'm referencing right now, and he goes on, and I'll I'll read this short the short little um, short little paragraph, a couple of paragraphs, so that you can get a feel of who this guy William Crowdy is. All right, he says here, several sects claimed primacy as the original Black Jewish movement. But the first was probably the Church of God and Saints in Christ, which was organized by William S. Crowley, a former cook on the Santa Fe Railroad, following a visionary experience in 1896, Crowley formed a church in Kansas City, which he headed as bishop. Okay, so I'm going to stop there and just talk about how if you notice already, William Crowdy had claimed to have had a vision, and uh, one of the visions was that black people were the original Jews. And if you consider, uh, or were the original Jews, and if you consider the timing of when this book was written, or when this cult was established, it was during uh, the years that the slave, uh, uh, black people were still slaves or had just received their freedom uh, after the Civil War. Um, he continues. 
Oh, I'm sorry. The uh, and the point what I was making is that if you notice, he had he said he had a vision, and a lot of the leaders of these cults around that time and even today, they use that. They say, "Oh, I had a vision from God," and uh, like Joseph Smith said, he saw God and he saw Jesus and the Father, and gave him another revelation. Uh, Charles Taze Russell, same guy who uh, created uh, the Jehovah Witness cult, said the same thing. Ellen G. White and her, uh, what was it? Um, I forgot her cult. But all three of them, all of them said that they had a vision from God. And usually this is one of those red flags that go up when I, when I hear somebody say, oh, I had a vision from God. And then immediately when they begin to talk, but when you read what they've written, it starts to contradict everything that the Scripture says. And so we have to be ready to conclude, okay, this guy's not a prophet. Um, turn to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 18. 18. Eighteen and what? Eighteen and eighteen. Oh. All right. Now this, now from verse fifteen to verse um twenty-two, Moses is prophesying of the prophet to come. He's talking about Jesus Christ. But when we look at the appointment of prophets all throughout the scriptures, Moses uh, also points to any of the prophets that God chooses, if they don't, if they say a word and say that God sent them and that word doesn't come to pass, this is how you're supposed to test it. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, 18, I'll start here. He said, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. He's talking about Jesus here. Uh, Islam will tell you this is a reference to Muhammad, and that's not correct. Uh, verse 19, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto the to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Now, back in the days, a false prophet would be stoned to death. And actually, uh, looking at the behavior of the children of Israel as they were going through, um, uh, through all their kingdoms, uh, from David all the way up to the last um, king, I think I think it was uh, Jeroboam. Uh, don't quote me on that. In either case, uh, the prop, the act, the true prophets, they were persecuted. And just as I pointed out last week, Isaiah he was sawn in half. 
by one of the kings of Israel. Why? Because he hated the prophecy. He hated the fact that he brought truth. But in this case, uh, to identify a false prophet, he pretty much says if the thing he says does not come to pass, then guess what? He's a false prophet. Do not be afraid of him. Uh, in this dispensation, no, we're not aiming to stone anybody, but uh, we do mark them who teach fables and who teach false doctrine. And William Crowdy was one of them. Um, I'm going to continue on. Crowdy's church adopted Jewish customs and feast days, and it was clergy and its clergy gradually adopted the title of rabbi. So do you see this? Uh, Crowdy began to uh, incorporate Jewish ideas into the Christian faith. And the thing about it, when you when you listen to the black Hebrew Israelites, uh, when they, one of their complaints is that, you know, the church doesn't do what, Israel did, and that and that is the, the feasts and ceremonies. The only thing that they believe that we shouldn't do or that nobody is to do is the, sacrifice, is the sacrificial uh, laws because in their theology, they say that Jesus Christ only fulfilled the sacrificial laws, but I'm going to show you how that's wrong uh, in a few. But let's continue on. Um, so William Crowley's rabbis, I mean, uh, clergymen began to use the term rabbi. It also foreshadowed other African-American sects by drawing, check this out, on, mes- on Masonic ritual and symbolism. There are a lot of Freemasons who belong to these black Hebrew roots movements. And that's very important to understand because when you look at when you look at some of the most extreme black Hebrew roots movement like the ISPUK, uh, these guys go hard, and they usually love to rock the uh, six pointed star, which they said, or what a lot of Jews say, belongs to David. Although there's no biblical scripture pointing to the fact that David had a star. There was no such thing as a star of David. And so, uh, but this star of David is actually a star belonging to uh, a god by the name of Molech and Chiyun. Uh If you have your Bibles, let's go and look it up real quick uh, in the book of Amos. And I believe it's Amos chapter not to give me, I ain't got it there just yet, but uh, let's see. All right, let me try to find it on here. I got it. Uh, yeah, this star of David, it was never called, it was never called the star of David. It was called the star of, he, the way he said it, he said the, the star of your God, Molech. Let's see, star, Chim. Okay, Amos 526. 
526. But you have borne, matter of fact, let me go up. Let me go up to uh, verse 18, and I'm going to read down to 27. Woe unto you who desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand upon the wall and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vows. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Molech, the, and Chium your image, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So God had a problem with this particular image, this star. And the reason why is because the star wasn't, the star represents a planet in this, uh, the planet of Saturn. And a lot of times you hear uh, black Hebrew Israelites accuse Christians of sun day worship. And the problem with that is that Although they accuse us, and this is why Jesus said, do not judge, at least you be judged by the same judgment that you put on others. You see, they accuse Christians because we go to church a lot of times on Sunday, but then they say they keep the Sabbath, which is incorrect because the Sabbath doesn't always fall on Saturday. And so what I tend to show them is that, hey, look, you don't keep the Sabbath the way you're telling everybody else to keep the Sabbath. And by saying that we worship the sun, you inadvertently bring condemnation upon yourself because you worship Saturday. And Saturday was dedicated to a uh, to this particular god called Chinyun in the Babylonian uh during the Babylonian captivity. And uh, but even before then, during this is one of the, one of the sins that the children of Israel committed. But you know, my thing is this: I'm not saying that anybody who wants to keep the Sabbath or attempt to, or anybody who goes to church on Sunday, is an idol worshiper. No, because God created the days, and so uh, this image, this six-pointed star is an image that you will see pop up in many ancient cultures, pagan cultures, because it's the worship of the planet Saturn. And the Masons, Freemasons, this is particularly very important because Saturn is another one of those celestial uh, celestial planets 
in space that Freemasons look at as a god or as a symbol to their god. But the fact that Freemasonry and the Jewish faith or the Christian faith is intermingled here under uh, William Crowdy is even more evidence of the corruptness and the crookedness within uh, the Black Hebrew Roots movement. And it gets even more extreme from there. But uh, let me continue. <clears throat> it also foreshadowed other African-American sects by drawing on Masonic ritual and symbolism. Among other movements influenced by Crowley's ideas was the Church of the Living God, which was originally formed in 1889 by William Christian of Arkansas, who also claimed a special divine revelation. One wing of his church was founded in Philadelphia in 1915 by F.S. Cherry. Now, Dave, you you live in that area, and I visited Philadelphia quite a few times. And it, if you remember the first time you and I sat down and talked face-to-face in the midst of our conversation, there was a black Hebrew Israelite standing or sitting down to the left left of us uh, who was eavesdropping on our uh, discussion. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, I do. I just didn't know he was a BHI. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, and so, my point, my point pretty much is Philadelphia is one of the home states, one of the states that uh, black Hebrew Israelites thrive in. Uh, you also have New York, and they've started to spread all over the place now. But Philadelphia, I would consider to be the uh, the, the mothership. But uh, let me continue on. Uh, one wing of his uh, one wing of this church was founded in Philadelphia in 1915 by F.S. Cherry, who remained its inspired prophet and absolute leader. The group venerated. Uh, they venerated the Hebrew scriptures as Hebrew was the authentic language of the black race who subsequently became African American. The so-called Jews were imposters. Okay, so this is another thing that y'all would hear. Uh, within this group, you have what is called the the sacred name movement. And what they do is they only refer to Jesus Christ by his Hebrew name. And then from that group branches off other groups who go, they say, well, uh, you can't just speak Hebrew. You have to speak the uh, proto the proto alphabet or the proto language of Hebrew. Or you can't write it in the Assyrian format or Aramaic. You have to uh, write it in its most ancient form, which is Proto-Hebrew. And proto, Proto-Hebrew is the type of Hebrew that uses picture formats. Uh, for instance, you may have uh, the Lord uh, displayed as two, uh, it'll have two bull heads, and it's supposed to symbolize strength. Uh, You'll see one for a shepherd, like a word for shepherd. You'll see a staff. And so they use these type of pictograms as proto-Hebrew. And over time, 
the Hebrew evolved into uh, a Syri. I think they call it a Syriac version, and that's because they went into captivity uh, under the Assyrians, and then the 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 Hebrew evolved into a Syrian style text, and then later on to Aramaic, and pretty much what you see today. Uh, your basic Hebrew is like a Syrian versus uh, Aramaic, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But as he stated in, in his book here, sacred uh, sacred names or the Black Hebrew Roots movement they venerated the Hebrew. Uh, Jesus is no longer Jesus, okay? For them, Jesus is actually from what they teach. They teach that. Jesus is a veneration or a, a a combination of hail Zeus, hmm. and that's because uh, it's not based off of etymology, which means you know what I'm saying the study of words. It's based off of how it sounds. Cause, uh, like some people say Jesus, some people say Jesus, and they say <laughs> well if you put a G, you put a hey. J-E, and then they, uh, then you have Zeus, then that means hail Zeus. Jesus is not his name. Well, an easy, easy way to debacle that and break that down is to just simply look at the definitions of both names. Uh, Zeus means uh, shining one or uh, uh, illuminated one or to shine. Uh, Jesus, his name means the Lord is salvation. So two, you have two different, uh, you have two different words. Yeah, they may sound similar to each other, but they have completely different meaning. Completely different meanings. And if you want to take it a little further, all you gotta do is look up Jesus and Zeus in the Greek. They're both spelled differently. In Greek, there was a uh, conspiracy to to change the name of Jesus, Yeshua, which is the Hebrew term. Which now in Hebrew, Yeshua means the Lord is salvation. In English, Jesus means the Lord is salvation. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. Both of the names match as far as definition is concerned. Uh, in the Greek, it's Iesus, and in the Greek, it means the same thing. The Lord is salvation. So uh, that's another element of their um, doctrine, the sacred name, and only looking at the Hebrew. All right, I'm going to continue on. Uh, the black race, um, let's see, Hebrew was the authentic uh, ancient language of the black race who subsequently became African Americans. Uh, the so-called Jews were imposters. Okay, another thing on that. Uh, you hear a lot of black Hebrew Israelites say that black uh, African Americans are not black or Hamite, meaning they come from Ham, but they would say that African Americans come directly, uh, are direct descendants of the Jewish people. And this, was again, was based off of Deuteronomy 28, and the whole transatlantic slave trade, which I'll get into that in a little bit later on. 
but the so-called Jews were imposters. All right, so another thing that they teach is that the people who are in Israel today, they say that they are not the true Jews. They teach people that they are imposters. And so what they do, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1, I mean chapter 2, and give me a second to find it real quick. Jews are not. All right, Revelation 2, 9. Revelation 2, 9. All right. I'm going to read 8, 9, 10, and 11. But verse uh, verse 9 is the actual um, reference point. All right, verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and, and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I'm going to stop there. In verse 9 where he says, I know them who say they are Jews and are not, or the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of, uh, they are of the synagogue of Satan. They say that these people who are in Israel, they're not real Jews, but they're imposters. And so Satan or the devil has inhabited their uh, or used them. That, this is where the whole term comes from, oh, the white man is the devil uh, from these groups. But they don't technically say the white man is the devil. They say Edom and Edomite and Esau and all this other, all these other terms. And you'll get you'll get more familiar with that later on. But pretty much this is the basic foundation of what they use. Uh although it's out of context, they use this to prove see the people in Israel today are not Jews. But that's not true. The people who are in Israel today are Jews. And the reference here in Revelation chapter two verse nine Jesus uh, Jesus Christ was talking about ethnic ethnic Jews, Jews by DNA, who were persecuting Christians. Why? The reason why is because a lot of the Christians, a lot the first Christians were Jews. And so uh, what happened is that, hey, you have a new covenant. Now, under this new covenant, you are saved by faith in Christ through grace. You are saved by grace. And what they don't what they didn't understand is that they no longer had to uh, observe these Old Testament laws. And so they started to persecute Christians for preaching the liberty of Christ. 
And so here in Revelation two nine, these Christians who may have been who may have been Jewish, who may have been Gentile, in either case, they were part of the body of Christ. They were being persecuted by ethnic DNA Jews at this time. And so when you hear them use this verse or use another verse that says uh uh like in Revelation 3, 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but but do lie. Uh, when they use verses like this to say, oh, the people in Israel are not real Jews, this is false. Um, and I guess in the closing statements, I'll try to explain why this is so, I'll try to explain why it's, this argument is so pointless. It is so pointless. But uh, let's continue. The group kept Saturday as the Sabbath and began the year from Passover. Uh, And that's pretty cool because technically the new year does start in, uh, it's the beginning of months. And you can find that in Exodus 12, uh, Exodus 12 concerning the Passover. He said, this is the first month for you. All right, so. Yet another group emerged about 1900 when Warren Robertson founded a communal settlement in Virginia on black Jewish principles under the title of the Temple of the Gospel of the Kingdom. Here it is again. The title, Temple of the Gospel of the Kingdom. The movement developed several settlements or kingdoms across the country. But the sect collapsed following Robertson's conviction on sex charges in 1926. If you realize, fornication and, and sexual crimes are one of the highest things, or, or one of the most uh, redundant things that happens in these cults. For some reason, these cult leaders always seem to result to some type of sexual violence. Uh, Finally, the black Jews of Harlem were founded by a former officer of the Garvey movement. If anybody knows who uh, Marcus Garvey is, he is the one who started the uh, movement, the black consciousness movement, uh, or initiated it, in most cases here in America, stating that black people need to have a spiritual awakening and that our true home was in Ethiopia. I know some black Christians who uh, venerate Marcus Garvey think he was a great guy, but nonetheless, he was still a false teacher, a false prophet. Uh, let's see. Let's continue here. The racial, the racial, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, here we go. The racial appropriation of biblical history and ancestry was scarcely new or daring as African Americans were explicitly doing whatever or what every white church did unconsciously when it posted pictures of a blonde and blue-eyed Jesus standing proud before the uh, swarthy Leviathan Pharisees. Okay, you might have seen those pictures of a blonde, blue-eyed Jesus Christ. Uh, Here's where I do agree. I don't believe Jesus Christ had pale white skin, and I don't believe that he had blue eyes and long blonde hair. Uh, considering his ethnicity being Jewish, uh, I'm pretty sure his hair may have been short. Uh, I don't, as far as his 
eye color is. I'm not sure. I don't know. But having pale skin, living in the Middle East, he would have been sunburned all the time. So, no, I don't believe that he had pale white skin, but neither do I believe he had dark, dark chocolate skin. He may have been of a ruddy color, and ruddy pretty much means a reddish tint. Now, some black Hebrew Israelites, they would jump all over that and say, because, oh, well, you got light-skinned brothers, uh, but they're still black. But what they fail to realize is that the only reason why they are light-skinned is because there must be some uh, some, some lighter-skinned information within their DNA that was passed down uh, from generation to generation, and it just so happened that, you know, this brother is light-skinned. And that goes for almost all of us. I mean, we don't know what we have and how DNA as far as ethnic groups are concerned. And that's one of the reasons why I think this whole uh, black Hebrew-Israelite argument is a bunch of garbage. It's because of those uh, biological factors. But let me continue. Uh, Americans were explicitly doing what every white church did unconsciously unconsciously when it posted pictures of a blonde and blue-eyed Jesus standing proud before the swarthy Leviathan Pharisees. The claim to be the real Jews was exactly the same as that made by white followers of the contemporary British Israel movement which was spreading in North America in these same years. If you don't know what that is, uh, you have your black Hebrew Israelites who teach, you know, all the minority groups here in America are, uh, are part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, the British Israel movement teaches that uh, the British parliament and most of its um sister or daughter countries like America, Australia, Austria, uh, all of your Commonwealth countries are actually populated by or founded by members of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, as you can see on the extremes of both sides, both sides are kind of racist towards each other. You know, oh, they're white, so they can't be Jews. And the same, uh, some of the same arguments that come from the British in Israel, oh, these guys are black, so they can't be the real Jews. Uh, but again, looking at how God scattered Israel throughout all the world, anybody could be a Jew and not even know it. But as I was talking to Dave earlier, not all, in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, let me continue. Uh, so when blacks made similar declarations, however, white observers saw the matter as merely ludicrous, and the existence of black Jewish groups may have contributed to the comic vision of black Old Testament prophets in the nineteen in nineteen thirty six uh, in a film called Green Pastures. I'm gonna have to look that up. With this parade of racist cliches, but this black trend was a far-reaching religious importance. And we can see many resemblances between such nationalist-oriented black groups and the contemporary white theosophical movements. Both trends claimed religious roots far deeper 
then would be accepted by contemporary scholars. Okay, uh, scholars oh scholarship and both boasted access to secret racial histories, thousands of years for the black Hebrews, perhaps millions for believers in Atlantean and Lumerian theories. The search for ancient and authentic roots was naturally at its most intense among relatively new and displaced migrant communities. Respectively, urban blacks recently arrived from the countryside and white Midwesterners relocated to California. Following the collapse during the depression of their newly aroused expectations, both communities were likewise vulnerable to prophets or messiahs who voiced direct access to divine wisdom. Though the first beneficiaries were black Jews and individual messiahs like Father Divine, the quest for racial authenticity led some African Americans to altogether outside the Judeo-Christian tradition to create and Americanize Islam. So, so with that being said, the Black Hebrew Roots movement was initiated because of the the racial discrimination that was going on here in the country. And William Crowley was one of the founders who tried to uh, connect after the transatlantic slave trade to Deuteronomy 28. And just like many other cult leaders, huh? Go ahead. Oh, okay. And just like, uh, just like many other cult leaders, they claim to have had a vision and given a message from an angel or from God stating black people were the original Hebrews. Hey, give me a favor. Huh, huh, for a second, get this. Take this, man. Oh, man. All right, so, uh, David, that's just the historic, that's the historic point. If anybody got any questions, anybody got anything they want to say? Uh, I don't need a question. Well, it, it sounds like these guys, uh, well, historically, it, it kind of sounds like these guys are pretty much another incarnation of the net of the nation of Islam. Uh, the nation of Islam, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a fallout, and that's what I and that's what I've told people. You know, like if you have. If you ask me, the Black Hebrew, the the BHI, the Black Hebrew Roots Movement, they all seem to be a gateway to either the Nation of Islam or to uh, uh, to some type of Black consciousness or Kemetic Kemet religion. Mm-hmm. And I have friends who were part of, like they went from being Christian to being Black Hebrew Roots to being uh, uh, Kemet and then black consciousness or straight mm-hmm. consciousness. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just uh, unfortunate for uh, as a, you know, a person who's unstable like that. Um, I've done what I could to try and help 
people who seem to want to walk on that path, but sometimes you have to let people fall so they can, you know, get up and see for themselves in issues like this. But, yeah, so I, I just wanted to give a, a, a real good brief on the Black Cuban Roots Movement and how it all came about and also um, the history. Oh, okay. So what's the name? Had to had to leave us, which is fine. Um, oh, she had to leave? Yeah, because they, uh, they are out. But that's cool. Um, we can continue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but um, what I was saying is that I just wanted to, I wanted to give a, a nice history, or just a, a brief history as to where this stuff came from, and look at some of the connections to it. Uh, I think now what I'm gonna do is touch on, uh, you know, the Hebrews movement today. Um, well, I'm not gonna get into much much of that. Just I want to point out some of some of the other doctrines that. Uh, that they talk about. For instance, because you have so many black Hebrews movements going under different names, they all have their own different doctrines. One doctrine teaches that Joseph is the biological son. I mean, I'm sorry, that Jesus is the biological son of Joseph. And for whatever reason, I cannot understand why they would accept such things. But let's go to the Bible and find where Elizabeth speaks. Give me a few minutes, I'm going to find it. I think it's Matthew. Let's see, uh, Matthew, give me a second, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, uh, the announcement of the Messiah. Okay, the coming of wise man, the birth of Jesus. All right, this is Matthew chapter 118. The birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with a child of the Holy Ghost. I don't know why these groups would teach such a thing, but the scripture says it right here clearly that before Joseph came and knew Mary. She was pregnant with the Holy uh, pregnant with Jesus Christ. Uh, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. So if Joseph knew that he was the father of this child, why did he seek to put away Mary privately? And these are arguments that don't make sense. Uh, 
And then one of their arguments is uh, concerning the word used, virgin. The virgin shall be with child. And how it was, uh, let's see. I'm trying to find that part where... Okay, verse 22 of the same chapter, Matthew one twenty-two. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Again, the literal reading of the scriptures tells you exactly what is going on. A virgin is what, the word virgin here is what they will argue against. In Hebrew, the word Bethula could mean virgin or like a young maiden, or it can also be applied to a woman who had never known a man, and that was the case. Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. He found a with child. She's like, this ain't my baby. You got to go. So while he slept and thought about it, the Holy Spirit came to him. The Spirit of God, or I think it was the angel, I can't remember which one, uh, husband, but while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost, God provided the other half of those chromosomes, not Joseph. Another one of their uh, outlandish things is only black minority groups are the children of Israel and whites are the synagogues of Satan. I think I've already covered that part concerning the synagogue of Satan, but Again, just to recap on it, the verse that they use in Revelation chapter 2, I think it's uh, verse 9, where uh, it says concerning those who say they are Jews and are not, it's talking about ethnic Jews, ethnic Jews who persecuted Christians. And as far as minority groups being the children of Israel and only minority groups, blacks, white, uh, blacks, um, Hispanics, Indians, Mexicans, Cubans, Haitians, and all. Let me tell you, he, when God scattered the children of Israel all around the world, he scattered them literally. And so that means that anybody could possibly have Jewish DNA running through their blood. But here's the thing. If y'all, if the black Hebrew Israelites want to say that only black people are Jews. They are completely wrong, and that's because they are not looking at the diaspora and they're not looking at the historical facts surrounding the diaspora. They have literally been sent to the four corners of the world. Not black people everywhere in this world. I mean, Dave talked about this earlier. Uh Here's another, another thing I want to bring up, the deception. The deception that comes along with their doctrine. They say salvation comes through keeping the law. 
And this is where they trip people up at. Now, what they would say, and another is two things. Salvation comes through keeping of the law. That's what they teach. And they also bring up contention between the letters of Paul and the letters and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And some of them try to say that Jesus Christ, uh, that Paul is not an, a true apostle. And the reason why they do that is because they hate the fact that Paul preaches so hard against trying to keep the law as a means of salvation. And in doing and in doing so, they bring contention between Jesus and between uh, and between Paul. But let's deal with. Let me go to Galatians. Let's see Galatians. Here we go. Now, first of all, let me read uh, Galatians 1, uh, verse 11 to 24. All right. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24. But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll stop there. So Paul is a true apostle of Jesus Christ. So if you hear anybody trying to, any of these BHIs and all that, trying to tell you that Paul is not an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm not saying that all of the BHIs and Black Hebrews movement Members do this, but a lot of them do. And the reason why is because they hate the fact that Paul teaches there is salvation only in faith, only through the faith and mercy of uh, faith in Jesus Christ. This is why a lot of them hate Paul's letters. And then they'll try to quote Peter where they say, oh, most people don't understand the letters of Paul and uh, they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Uh, they are the ones who actually do that. Uh, for instance, for example, this very scripture I just read, they ignore the fact that Paul was chosen by Jesus Christ and then turn around and tell people that he's not an apostle. Uh, salvation through keeping the law. Let's go a little deeper. All right. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. He says here, Paul says here, Now I say that the heir... As long as he is, he is a child, defers nothing from a servant, though he be the Lord of all, 
but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the fathers. Even so, we, when we were children, were, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when you knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that, ye, you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you and labored in vain. And what Paul is going off about is there were Judaizers who had came to the church of Galatia and and started convincing the people of Galatia that they had to follow the laws, these Old Testament laws, or these Old Covenant laws of observing days and months and times and years. This is another indication that Paul wasn't just talking about sacrificial laws. He, talk, he was talking about all of the laws. Why? Because Jesus Christ had came and fulfilled. He fulfilled the law. And now I'm going to continue on in verse 12. This is verse, chapter 4, verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected. But receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if I had been, if, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. Am I therefore become an, your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. So, again, Paul is continuing to go into the whole fact that, uh, one, they're zealous. And, yeah, it's, it's it's a good thing to be zealous, but once you start taking your eyes off of Jesus Christ, as your salvation, you will uh, cause yourself to be to fall from grace. Now, uh, it's nine twenty eight. I'm coming up on on two hours. I mean, on an hour here. So, I'll I'll pause it here. And Dave, do you got anything you want to say or? Uh, well, 
it was very it was pretty interesting um, explanation because again, like I said, this is pretty much an offshoot or an incarnation of the Nation of Islam cult, you know, which focuses on cult, you know, skin color. Uh, it focuses on the black man being God, I guess you might want to say, or the black man being the only race God is going to save. Only thing with the Nation of Islam is that um, they teach that uh, Allah is, is going to be the only one to save Muslims at the time of the end. And I don't think black Muslims teach this. I, I believe, well, maybe they do. I'm not sure. But I know that a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, not contemporary movies or DHI or NOIs, but I know a lot of um, Muslims that follow that actually follow Muhammad's teachings. They 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 teach they um, believe that they're going to be the only Muslims to. Uh, and what I mean by that is they actually follow what's being taught in the Quran. I, I know there are a lot of black Muslims that don't. They just Muslims by name. You know, they don't, they're not uh, Muslims that actually are into their faith. Uh, but it's nothing more than a, a uh, an incarnation of the, the NOIs. That's all the BHIs are. You know, there's they're, they're only, with a twist. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm uh let me continue here. Uh, all right, so I want to go back to uh, Galatians chapter five in regards to if you think if you think by keeping the law that you are saved, you have actually fallen from grace, and this is what Paul says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, Whosoever you are are justified by the law, ye have fallen from grace. Now, I don't say that the law is evil. The law is not evil because God created the laws. But the laws were used to serve a particular purpose, and it was to point people to Jesus Christ. It was to point them to know what sin looks like, to teach you how what sin is, and as you got older, or you know, as you mature in your faith, and even as you mature in life, by the time you are an adult, and Paul said, you know, when I was a child, I, I uh, said when I was a child, I thought in childish ways, but when I became a man, I put those childish things away, and that's exactly how we should approach this situation concerning how we uh how we behave in life 
we should behave as grown men, grown women, adults, and trusting in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and loving our neighbors. That is the ultimate law of God and is love. But when you start trying to force people to do things like observe the Sabbath, you can end up placing yourself in the same condemnation that you uh, condemn others. Why? Because most most black Hebrew Israelites cannot track the Sabbath the way it's supposed to be tracked. Or some of them work full-time jobs or part-time jobs where they have to work on a Saturday unless the boss gives them that day off. I've, I've heard a, a Sabbath keeper, which is another branch of the cult, brag about, oh, well, I had to work on Saturday, and uh, I, all I did is came home and asked the Lord to forgive me. If that's the case, why are you on a platform speaking against people who don't keep the Sabbath when you normally didn't keep it because you went to work? Do you trust your job over trusting in the Lord? You see how you can flip things against them when they're not really making any logical sense? If God gave you enough grace not to track the Sabbath correctly, uh, I'm pretty sure that he has uh, given everybody else rest or given everyone else grace not to follow and observe the seventh day, the Sabbath. God ain't stupid. God knows exactly what's going on, especially in these days and time. But uh, and that's just another general observation of that. Um, now, usually when you talk to Black Chat, because, uh, again, this is working on the last half, so um, I'm going to stop here. And next week, what I'm going to do, I'm going to touch on the breakdown of the law of Moses and the, and the specific laws, the types and shadows, and showing you all how Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. And uh, I don't know how long that's going to take. And I'm, trying to, I'm going to try to show you all how Jesus Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. And what does it mean to be under this new covenant? Um, but as as from now, uh, David, I'm going to go ahead and release the floor to you so that we can get into this whole uh, emergent church doctrine and what's going on in in these uh, in these last days concerning the the secret sensitive churches. Well, thank you, thank you, T. Again, it's a pleasure working alongside you, with you, doing God's work. Um, I, I've been studying uh, the the church and the um, the whole seeker sensitive movement for the past ten years. As a matter of fact, I've been studying it since it became popular. And um, the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about the, the entire emergent seeker-sensitive model is Rick Warren. But Rick Warren didn't have anything to do with getting it started. As a matter of fact, 
he only popularized it. The person that got it started was a guy by the name of Bill Hybels. And Bill Hybels is nothing more than a modern. It's Bill Hybels, Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick, and another guy by the name of uh, Doug Pageant and Rob Bell. They're two guys, actually. And Brian McLaren are all part of this facet of the emerging church known as revisionists. And they're the liberal side of the emerging church. But I'm getting ahead of myself now. When you think, again, when you think of the emerging church, you're always talking about uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Rick Warren because Rick Warren popularized it. That was the first person you saw on television talking about merging the church with the culture. And that's what the emergent church means. And it's nothing but another form of postmodernism. Postmodernism, if you're not familiar with the term, is it's different from modernism. Modernism basically tells you that there is no truth. There is no truth at all. Uh, So almost like secularism, man is the captain of his own ship. But postmodernism has a twist to it. Postmodernism teaches, yes, there is truth, but it's only according. It's not absolute. It's only according to what you believe is true. So in other words, what you hear in a lot of your emergent church uh, ministries is that, well, that's your truth. You have your truth. I have mine. So there's no absolutes. There's no absolute standards. There's no standard bearer for us to look to, or there's no ultimate authority for the Christian to look towards or to uh, gain or to um, get knowledge from. So we all glean from each other uh, for different truths. For instance, I'm a Christian, and I'll glean towards a Catholic to get the same kind of biblical truth than I would from any other Christian leader. Or um, I can go to a Buddhist, and if he's talking truth, then I can glean from that to help me in my everyday life as just like I can from any other Christian leader or Christian pastor or whatever the case may be. So this is what constitutes the entire emergent church seeker-sensitive philosophy. And what I want to do is try to familiarize people with some terms, and I'm not going to talk too technical, but I'm going to be as technical as people can understand it. So when you come across individuals like this, you can refute them with the word of God. And as far as absolute truth is concerned, the Bible is our ultimate authority for faith and practice. The Bible says in First Timothy, if you would, uh, turn there real quick before I go on. Um, I think it's First. I'm sorry, Second Timothy. Second Timothy um, uh, three sixteen. Oh yeah. <laughs> All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now I'm gonna stop here because there's a guy by the name of Rob Bell that teaches that you can't glean absolute truth. The Bible doesn't teach absolute truth. Uh, Rob Bell was a pastor at Mars Hill Baptist Church, I believe, in in Michigan. And um, he 
wrote a couple of books called um, Sex and God. He, and then there was another book called um, Not a New Kind of Christianity. It was written by Brian McLaren, but it's called um, um, Heaven and Hell, I believe. And let me Google is uh, yeah, Velvet Elvis is one of his most famous books. Uh, and it says, repainting the Christian faith. Now, before I go on, there's a term called deconstruction. And that's a postmodern tactic. And people who are in the postmodern seeker-sensitive church look to reconstruct or they, they, they look to reinterpret what the Bible says. So if they look at a particular passage of Scripture, they'll turn around and say, well, it doesn't really mean that. If Jesus says, if God says, or Paul, the apostle, says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and is uh, and for instruction and righteousness that the man of God be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Now, if a postmodernist or an emergent leader were to look at that, those two pa uh, passages of scripture, those two verses, what he'll do is he'll um, take a deconstructionist view towards it. In other words, he'll turn around and say, well, it doesn't really mean that. It really means that uh, it'll mean something else. Or they'll, and then what they'll do is they'll reconstruct their own interpretation to those two verses. So uh, this is what people like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren will do. Uh, and what I, what I want to do is, is explain what it is. Uh, it's a critical outlook concerned with the relationship between text and meaning. So in other words, when you're reading a literary text or you know, a book uh, and the author writes a passage and you look at it and you look to interpret what the author is trying to say, to a postmodernist, he'll turn around and say, well, it doesn't really mean that it means this. And so they'll work on the text to reconstruct the meaning of it. And that's exactly what uh, deconstruction is. And, um, and by the way, I want to talk about what canon uh, is. Canon is a general law rule or criterion by which something is judged. And, and the second meaning is a collection of sacred texts. So the Bible is the completed canon of scripture. And it's composed of two, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So all of these, the, 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 the Bible is a, uh, to be trusted by us, by the Christian. But to a postmodernist, yeah, it contains truth, but it doesn't have, it's not absolute truth. I'm pretty sure, and I, GT and I have heard Christians tell us that uh, the Bible contains the Word of God, but it isn't the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's postmodernism, in a, you know, and wrapped up in a nice little Christian bow. Uh, so, uh, let me go on and explain how we can trust the Word of God. Um, and that's the first 
how we can do that is uh, it's called uh, apostolicity. I'm sorry, written, uh, and and that means. Um, Basically, that that uh, means that uh, written uh, is it written by an authoritative source, or does it does the right do the writings come from an authoritative source like Jesus Christ or uh, the Apostle Paul? Uh, number two, antiquity. Did it come from the first century? Uh, orthodoxy was it consistent with the teachings of Jesus Christ and Catholicity was it recognized by a large number was it it recognized as scripture by a large number of of churches so that's how we can tell uh, Catholicity I'm sorry Um, Mm -hmm. so uh, and these these four ways that we can tell the Bible is true needs to pass these four uh, uh, ways of, of testing it. And it's it's strange though how a lot of these uh, emerging church ministries they don't do they bypass this. So this is why they can say. That uh, I'm sorry, the, the word that I was trying to pronounce is apostolicity, you know, which is I just got finished explaining what that means. So this is how we, this is our testing ground. So um, let me go on here and explain what the terminology is and who these people are and who. Uh, uh, these individuals that are a part of this uh, church movement that uh, we have seen grow popular. Uh, Well, emerging churches are fluid and hard to define and vary. They contrast themselves um, with that, with what, excuse me, has gone on What's what's gone before by using the term inherited church by themes of the emerging church are couched in the the language of reform practices oriented lifestyles post evangelical thought and incorporation of acknowledgement of political and postmodern elements terminologically terminological confusion has occurred because of the use of words with similar etymology which means the study of words. When used as descriptors, emerging and emergent can be interchangeable. However, when used as names, they are different. In this case, emerging refers to the whole informal church-based global movement, while emergent to a formal organizational subset associated with Tony Jones, Brian McLaren, Doug Patrick, and others, the emergent stream. Now, here are the uh, the different types of emergent. And, um, they're called relevance, and relevance are theological theological conservatives who are interested in updating to the current culture. In other words, you've heard the term, I am theologically conservative, 
but um, culturally liberal. That's what that term means. They look to, to people like Dan Kimball and, Doug, and Don Miller. Reconstructionists are generally theologically con- um, uh, e- evangelical and speak of new forms of church that result in transformed lives. They look to Neil Cole, Michael Frost, and Alan Hirsch. Revisionists are a theologically liberal and open question, and openly question whether evangelical doctrine is appropriate for the postmodern world. In other words, uh, they don't use salvation, sin, judgment, um, and things of that sort to uh, go out, or they don't seem to think that it's appropriate for the postmodern world. They believe that these terms that we that I just got finished using or saying will scare them off. So these individuals look to leaders like Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Doug Padgett, and all these others. And so the more worldly they are, or the world, the more worldly they look, the more appropriate or the more um, um, in, you know, more interesting they'll look to the, the unbelieving world. So if um, I'm a rock star and um, I'm uncomfortable with the um, the uh, institutionalized or, or institutionalized religion, for that matter, then I will go to a church that's pastored by Rob Bell, or I will go to a church that's pastored by Brian McLaren. And Brian McLaren will not teach the Word of God, but he will teach a social gospel. And that's another thing that emergence love to focus on, the social gospel. Um, the problems that are in the world, cultural issues like marriage and 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 uh, relationships and things. That's their primary focus. The primary focus is not the gospel. The primary focus is not absolute biblical truth. You know, they'll focus the problems on well, man. You know, people are poor and people are uneducated. People don't have money. People don't have the necessary things that man needs to survive. They'll they won't focus on the, prob- the the causes of these problems, which is sin. This is a spiritual and a moral problem. So Driscoll has subsequently identified a fourth stream, the house church movement, which is pretty popular nowadays, uh, which he previously included under the Reconstructionist label. Driscoll and Scott McKnight have now voiced concerns over Brian McLaren and the emergent thread. Some evangelical leaders, such as Shane Claiborne, have sought to distance themselves from the emerging church movement labels and the emerging brand. So there's uh, a breakdown in the movement itself because guys like Bell and Paget and McLaren are saying that the Bible is not true. So that's modernism. That's not just postmodernism. That's just modernism. You are a liberal. You're not saved. So there's infighting within the movement. So now people like Shane Claiborne and uh, McKnight and all these other guys have voiced concerns and they're threatening to separate themselves from the movement itself because, well, you know, you've got these guys saying that uh, we can't use terms like sin and salvation and judgment, the judgment of God and all this other stuff because it's going to scare the unchurched away. Well, it's too late. You've already done that. 
you know, uh, with your, you know, you think that, you know, your um, your your way is is going to win them the price. Of course not, but they don't think so. Let me continue on. Now I'll go into a little bit of the history of the emergent church. The term emerging church was first used in 1970 when Larson and Osborne predicted a movement characterized by contextual and experimental mission, new forms new forms of church, the removal of barriers and division. Now that's something that I want to really hone in on because new evangelicalism was based off of that. It was founded by a guy by the name of Harold Ockengay in 1948, and his, he said, we repudiate Biblical separation. And so that's the focus of the new or neo-evangelicalism is the breakdown or the breaking down or the removal of denominational barriers and division, doctrinal barriers. And what are these doctrinal barriers? Well, the ones that I just said, um, or the ones that I just mentioned was salvation, judgment of God, sin, and the Bible being the source of absolute truth. Mm-hmm. Right. The Bible being, um, you know, divinely inspired by God. Those are terms that will scare off any so-called Christian or any so-called person that's looking for or any so-called modernist that's looking for truth or postmodernist in this case. So uh, a blend of evangelicalism and social action Attention to both experience and tradition. Now, a blend of evangelical and social action, this is, again, part and parcel to the entire emerging church seeker-sensitive experience. They focus on social action, and either they'll confuse that with evangelicalism or they'll combine the two, and they'll think that working in a soup kitchen uh, with a homosexual or Catholic or sharing platforms with these individuals is okay because hey, what the heck? We're we are foc- we're focused on the same thing. We want to eliminate poverty. We want to eliminate I don't know AIDS. We want to eliminate uh, you know uh, the, the uh, illiteracy. We want to eliminate uh, homelessness. And so they don't have a problem uniting with these individuals to do that, to people who are just totally unsaved. I look at Jamal Bryant. He shares this, um, a platform with a guy by the name of Louis Farrakhan, a Muslim. So that, they don't see a problem with that. So uh, I'm going to continue on. Uh, the breakdown of clergy, laity, distinctions, Catholic political... Uh, theologian Johann Baptist Meese Metz, I'm sorry, used the term emerging church in 1981 in a different context. Marcus Borg says the emerging paradigm has been visible for well over 100 years. In the past 20 to 30 years, it has become a major grassroots movement among laity and clergy in mainline or old mainline Protestant denominations. In other words, a mainline, the mainline Protestant denominations are um, Lutherans, uh, Methodists, Episcopal, uh, United Methodist Episcopal churches, those are your mainline churches. Uh, he described 
he describes it as a way of seeing the Bible and the Christian tradition as a whole as historical, metaphorical, and sacramental, and a way of seeing the Christian life as relational and transform and transformational. Uh, so this is what they believe, they, and that's nothing, again, that's nothing but postmodernism. Uh, the history of the Emergent Church that preceded the U.S. Emergent Church Organization in with Mike Riddle and Mark Pearson in New Zealand from 1989 and with a number of practitioners in the U.K., including John Baker, Ian Mobsby, Kevin, Anna, and Brian Draper, and Susan and Sue Wallace, among others, from 1992. The uh, influence of 9 o'clock service has been ignored and um, yet was practiced thereby was influence, was influential on early proponents of alternative worship. Now what alternative worship is, is something that's not, that doesn't have anything to do, is the opposite of traditional worship or contemporary worship. Um, it's coming to church in jeans, the pastor is wearing tie-dye and um, he's walking around in sunglasses or um, you know, the um, worship leaders are all, you know, they're, it's a rock band. It's like a nightclub atmosphere. And that's what they believe, that's what alternative worship is. Um, let's see. So let me get into the, I, let me get into, because it's 11 o'clock and I want to get into uh, the whole CCM craze. Uh, CCM. Uh, Hello. Still there, Dave? Yeah, I'm, here. I'm still here. Okay. Oh, so uh, I, I was just going to get into uh, CCM for contemporary Christian music. Um. This is part and parcel also to the entire emerging church uh, ideologue. And uh, I'm pretty sure you've heard of Hillsong um, with uh, Darlene Check and all these others. Um, yeah, I've heard of Hillsong. Uh, uh, Evelyn was showing me some pictures yesterday of this group. Look kind of uh, spooky, you ask me. Well, yeah, you know, they, they, uh, that's a prime example of, um, of alternative worship, the alternative worship style. And um, first of all, I want to tell you, uh, give you a little brief history of CCM, the whole CCM industry. Okay. Um, crap. Let me, uh, okay. Um, well, CCM is a genre of popular music which is lyrically focused on matters concerned with the Christian faith. Now, um, I'm going to go back to the history. The, the growing popularity in the styles of rock and roll music in the 50s was initially dismissed by the church because it was believed to encourage sinfulness, and it does. Yet as evangelicals 
evangelical churches adapted to appeal to more people. The musical styles used in worship changed as well as adopting the sounds of this popular style. So I'm pretty sure you've heard of a guy by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee, uh, sort of common. Yeah, I'm going to get into that really uh, uh, very uh, in a couple of minutes. Genre became known as contemporary Christian music as a result of the Jesus Movement revival in the latter 1960s and early in the 70s, and was originally called Jesus Music. About that time, many young people from the 60s countercultural movement professed to believe in Jesus, convinced of the bareness of a lifestyle based on drugs, sex, and radical politics, hippies became Jesus people. Now, that's when a guy by the name of Lonnie Frisbee came into play. Um, Lonnie Frisbee was a self-styled preacher, but he was getting high. He was having LSD trips and things of that sort, and he was a homosexual. In, in, oh, uh, so in 93, he died of AIDS. He, he's dead. But... Um, he was very, very popular during the 1970s Jesus music, uh, Jesus movement that Christian music started to become an industry within itself. Uh, Jesus music started playing instruments like um, guitars, drums, uh, and singing songs about love and peace, which then became translated into love of God. Um, in the 70s, you know, uh, Paul uh, Wolvermuth, I can't pronounce his name, who wrote the book Rethinking the Church, Rethinking Church Music, said that the 1970s will see a marked acceptance of rock-influenced music in all levels of church music. The rock style will become more familiar to all people. Its rhythmic excesses will become refined, and its earlier secular associations will be less remembered. Another guy that you what we want to write down is Larry Norman is often remembered as the father of Christian rock because of his early contributions before the Jesus movement to the development of the new genre that mixed rock rhythms with Christian messages. Now this is what the Bible speaks against and you can't mix the sacred with the profane but right. This is what Christian, uh, contemporary Christian music does. And, it, and now you have just mush. You, you have just uh, mud. You don't have anything solid. You don't have anything to rely on. Because, hey, postmodernism says, well, you know, you've got, there's truth, but it's not absolute. Uh, so pioneers of this movement also included Keith Green, who's dead, second, uh, the second chapter of Acts, which is a, a Christian, a contemporary Christian rock group, Barry McGuire, Andre Crouch, and the Disciples, Evie, Benny Hester, and the Imperials, along, among others. The small Jesus music culture had expanded into a multi-million dollar company. I'm pretty sure you've heard of Amy Grant. DC Talk, Michael W. Smith, Striper, and Jars of Clay. Striper was pretty popular during the 80s. Amy Grant was also. Uh, Michael W. Smith was pretty popular. And all of them have found crossover success within 10, within the top 
40 mainstream radio play. So the, the genre became emerged, the genre, I'm sorry, the, the genre emerged and became prevalent in the 70s and the 80s. Beginning in 1978, CCM Magazine began covering contemporary Christian music artists and a wide range of spiritual themes until it launched online publications in 2009. And so you have style, and I'm going to just briefly explain the styles and the artists, or go over them. Uh, contemporary Christian music has influence from folk, has influences from folk, gospel, pop, and rock music. I'm pretty sure you've heard of Christian um Contemporary Christian stars say that they looked up to the Beatles, they looked up to Led Zeppelin, they looked up to Queen and um, you know, other Ozzy Osbourne and others. Yeah, uh, well, I've heard you know uh, people within that genre of Christian music say stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and this is no different. You know, Amy Grant did a duet with um, uh, the lead singer of the rock group Chicago. Um, of course, you've heard of um, uh, Kirk Franklin, who uh, was collaborating with... Kanye um, West, I think. Yeah, Kanye West. Um, as a matter of fact, when, he, when uh, Kirk Franklin did his video, uh, Smile, uh, he had... Jill Scott on there. Right. Neither neither one of those are, as a matter of fact, uh, Kanye West talking about he was Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. But, uh, but, yeah, this is very, very, you know, they're like kissing cousins. You know, the emerging church, the charismatic movement, and the and this entire contemporary Christian music industry are all lumped into the same pot. Um, they're all emergent. They're all um, they all have a um, a, a postmodern philosophy, postmodern mindset. You know, your truth is not you know because it's true doesn't necessarily mean it's absolutely true, which doesn't make any sense philosophically. But this is what they believe. Um, and so uh, here's the postmodern worldview of, of and hermeneutics. Um, I've already explained what they believe as far as uh, their postmodern views are concerned. Um, <clears throat> gener generous orthodoxy. Um, uh, I've already explained what Brian McLaren believes and. Rob Bell and all these other individuals, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense for me to keep repeating myself. Um, you know, their their idea of sin is pretty hampered. Uh, they don't believe, since they don't believe in absolute truth, they don't believe that what you know, what the Bible see, uh, believes is sin, or what the Bible teaches sin to be. So that's why a lot of emergent churches they they shy away. From those dogmatic words, those dogmatic terms like and judgment. If you sleep around, you know God is going to judge you. God is going to um, 
it's 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 sinful. First of all, it's a sinful lifestyle for you to live a grossly immoral life. And the Bible says, um, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap." But emergent churches don't teach that. They teach that, eh, well, you know, you know, you can if you want to, but and then like I was explaining to you earlier, earlier this afternoon is that um, a lot of um, emergent uh, leaders, they don't see that there is a problem with um, lumping up with different individuals that don't believe the Bible at all, or they're a part of false, uh, you know, movements. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I guess I can uh, continue on uh, next week if if that's what you want, if, if that's not a problem with you. Yeah. Um, how long how long is uh, how long has it been recorded? Uh, it's 11.09. Okay, yeah, we passed the 11 o'clock mark. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'll say let's do this. Let's uh, stop here. And then uh, on, the next, on the next recording, we can both start off where we, both, where we left off at. Okay, that's fine. And... Uh, yeah, this was uh it seems like when we have the most informative shows, we don't get a lot of people to call in. Mhm. <sighs> but if it's just random stuff, it's like people call in from all over the place. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, that's fine. And see, uh I want the listeners to know that You have you have extremes on on every side. You know, it's not just the BHIs. I mean, you got problems within the body itself, and it's especially dealing with this emergent church. And based off of what David said about the emergent church, and uh, you know what we know about it, it's pretty much a compromise, and they are compromising to satisfy the people of the world. But if Jesus Christ came to call people out of the world, and then this body of people turn around and try to comply with the world versus bringing them out of the world, they're not doing a, they're not doing what we were commanded to do, and that was to preach and to save people, uh, point people to Christ to save them from their sins. So, um, and then in regards to the BHIs, uh, with all the stuff that's going on in the country today, and all the stuff that's going on, hold on, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. With all the stuff that's going on 
in the world today or in this country concerning race and all this racial tension, you know, the BHIs, the Black Conscious Movement, Kemet, uh, the Nation of Islam, they have become, how can I say, uh, a little stronger in their recruit. People want justice. People want, uh, you know, they need, they want identification. They they want to be identified. And when you have the media continuing to throw stuff out there, dealing on the whole race, racial issues, black Hebrew Israelites, the Kim and all that, they right there welcoming these people in. And we have to stand in the gap. We have to stand as the people saying, look, it sounds okay, it, it looks cool and all that, but in the end, a way that, you know, you know what the scriptures say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it ends up leading to death. And you don't want that. So, uh, David, if you can pray us out. Sure. Uh, and, and, oh. Jack, well, say again. Just one last, just one last thing. Uh, remember the shows that take place every sat every Friday. They take place every Friday at nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we love to hear some feedback as to what's a better time to have these shows so that you all can participate. Because I know Friday nights is usually the nights where couples go out enjoy the weekends or, you know, uh, people just go out or whatever. So just uh, you can contact us on the Bible Study Group or Prophecy Watch on Facebook. Uh, with that said, Dave, go ahead and pray us out, bro. Okay. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us tonight. Um, we, uh, we ask that you um, really help us with the uh, getting disseminating the information, uh, you know, just uh, reminding people of the truth of your word, and uh, your word will not come back void. And and so, Father, we ask that you uh, put a hedge of protection around each family that is represented tonight, and even uh, especially those that did not get the opportunity to call in. Uh, help us to disseminate the information even more effectively than before, Lord, and, and uh, just uh, clear our heads and, and, and our hearts and minds of all nervousness and apprehension. And, Father, just uh, protect us tonight as uh, the night progresses. You know, we, we go off to bed, and uh, some of us spend time with our uh, spouses, wives, husbands, Lord, and and we ask that uh, our, the rest of our night is uh, sweet and, and uh, uneventful as far as any kind of negativity is concerned, Lord. Uh, thank you, Father, for being with us tonight. And until next week, be with us, Lord. And and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, bro. I'll, All right. you, I'll, I'll be hitting you up in a little bit. Okay. All right.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.